Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we wander underneath the odd sports camp to discover the revolting jelly monster that just happens to sweat snails living underground. I am one of your hosts, Kayla King. I am joined by my husband, David King. Only the best. <laughs> so, Sade, actually, our normal host, is not joining us. Uh, he is not feeling well, but we have another guest, a special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Chorney! Me, I have beer. Hi. Cool. <laughs> what it, kind of beer? Boulevard wheat. Ooh. That sounds good, actually. It actually does sound it's, good. It is the local, it's a local brew. Damn it, why don't we have alcohol? Wait, we do. We do. We're just not drinking it right now. That's true. We should be. For this book? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, this, it's Alan Shady. I should, this, I should this, be clear. This excellent book? Yes, I'm saying this is a, this is a great book. You could enjoy it both sober and non-sober this is gonna be our goosebumps episode everyone um dun 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 i mean i'm surprised we haven't discussed goosebumps before this is surprising it was kind of inevitable though that we'd eventually get to goosebumps honestly it's Mm -hmm. such a part of so many people in our generation's uh childhood and and having reread a few of them now uh i've had the realization that goosebumps is absolutely the true precursor to modern creepypasta Oh, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that. Um, but by the way, thank you, everyone who voted for which Goosebumps book we should read. There's a wide variety, and you guys came through in the clutch and made Alan Chaney very happy. So yeah, no, It's probably not fair that I actively campaigned for this book. <laughs> so we read the book, The Horror at Camp Jelly Jam. <laughs> Uh, Alan, since you campaigned hard for this book, do you want to give the summary? Uh, no. No? Okay. <laughs> I want to I wanna hear someone else's summary. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm... David, do you want to do it? Because I'm going to give background story on... Yeah, okay. Goosebumps you want to put this, uh, this evil on me, huh? Yes, I do. Okay. So the horror of Camp Jelly Jam follows the exploits of Wendy, who is 12, and her younger brother, Elliot, who is 11. They're traveling with their parents on a road trip to who knows where when the trailer they're riding in detaches from their parents' car, rolls downhill, and crashes into uh, basically at the foot of King Jelly Jam Sports Camp. The camp is not actually called Camp Jelly Jam. It's called King Jelly Jam Sports Camp. It's very misleading and frustrating. While they're there, they meet the camp counselors who all wear white on white and are really creepy and act really chipper and all the time talking about how only the best can walk in the winner's walk and win six gold coins, just like in Mario Land, except in that one, it was eight golden coins. Or was it six golden coins? I think it was six golden coins. Anyway, uh, you have to get the coins in order to fight Wario. I mean, you have to get the coins in order to take the winner's walk and prove you're the best, because only the best can do that. Uh, Wendy's not super interested in in, uh, being super competitive, but she loves sports. So at first, they're kind of feeling the camp, even though they're like, hey, we've been separated from our parents and they don't know where we are and we almost died in that trailer accident. But anyway, they go on. And uh, over time, weird stuff about the camp starts to make itself known to Wendy. Elliot is too competitive to notice, but Wendy is starting to notice that people are disappearing. There's weird rumbling under the camp. And the counselors are all really obsessed with making sure that people are being competitive. What's going on? Well, (laughs) all gets revealed when Wendy decides to... uh, get to the bottom of everything and discovers that the camp counselors are hypnotizing themselves to serve the quote unquote master of the camp, who by the way is a cartoonish little blob with a crown on called King Jelly Jam. Except when she finds 
the secret of the camp. It's not a tiny little blob. It's a massive stinking blob that sweats snails that the real King Jelly Jam. And it's forcing kids, the only the best kids in the camp, to wash its corpulent body in order to make sure it doesn't die from its own body odor. How does Wendy save the day? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> this is an interesting one. It's not bad. That's for darn sure. Gonna, okay. But it's interesting. I need to explain Goosebumps because Goosebumps is fascinating. The, the story behind Goosebumps is fascinating. Um, it's written by R.L. Stein, Robert Lawrence Stein, not Robert Lewis. He's not Robert Lewis Stevenson. How come, he, how come Stevenson never went by R.L. Stevenson? We don't know that he didn't. He might have. But yeah. no, one, no one ever refers to him as R.L. Stevenson. Maybe he tried to get it going and no one like went with him on it. So before he was doing horror stories, he actually was writing humor books under the name Jovial Bob Stein. J.B. Stein, if you will. <laughs> a long time ago. Well, not long ago. I was a teenager when I read this. I read his biography called It Came From Ohio. And so a lot of this I kind of already knew. And uh, there's this great picture because he said um, he did a book signing when he, he did his humor books. No kids showed up and he's wearing bunny ears. And it's amazing. Aww. It's so sad. <laughs> um, it's adorable. Also, another fun fact, he is the co-creator and head writer of Eureka's Castle. Yep. Yeah, that, that show. I, I thought that was fascinating. Alan, do you remember Eureka's Castle? I do. Holy I shit. Remember, I, re- I remember very distinctly not watching it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember existing. I watched it. Um, I remember changing to a channel, seeing it screaming and changing the channel. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's a puppet-based uh, show. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, he wrote his first horror novel, which was The Blind Date in 1986. It was random how he came to write it. What happened was he was just having lunch with an editor from Scholastics and they're like, oh, yeah, we need some more horror. And he, she's like, hey, why don't you write a horror book? Write something called, I don't know, The Blind Date. And he did. And on a whim. And it got published. And it was popular. And this actually led to his next book called The Babysitter in 1989. And that established him as a horror writer. This also then led to the Fear Street series. The Goosebump series came about in 1992 with the first book, Welcome to the Dead House. And it ex exploded i and when i mean exploded this isn't just like a popular book series of people oh no for three years in a row in, from 93 to 95 R.O. stein was the number one best-selling author he was it wasn't until 96 that he was outranked by jk rowling that's how big this book series was and like for years usa today's like top 50 book list would usually have about like 20 to 25 goosebumps books at that time too Every month, at least 4 million Goosebumps copies were being sold, and over 400 million copies of Goosebumps have been sold. Cool. It's so so massive that in the 2003 Guinness Book of World Records, Goosebumps became known as the best-selling series of children's books ever because of sales figures. Yeah. Damn. It's kind of, it's, no, it's insane how big this was. It was everywhere when I was a kid, but- I did not realize how massive this series oh, yeah. was at that time. I mean, I know there. this also led to its own television series. And then they actually had a fucking show at Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah, they had a show at Walt Disney World. Like, um, Man, I wanted Horrorland to be a thing so bad. Like, you could actually visit a Horrorland. Um, they asked, actually, R.L. Stein, like, 
why do you think your book series was so huge? What do you think made it work? Uh, I actually have a quote from him. It says, that is the only hard part about writing horror, I think. The line between boring and being too scary and knowing how to be in the middle of it. If you're too careful, then you're not going to be interesting. If you're going too far, then you're going to upset the kids. I have one rule and the rule is basically you can go as far as you want. If the kids know it's a fantasy, then it can't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's been his secret for Goosebumps. He doesn't mind making it as scary as possible as long as kids know that it's not real. And that's why he adds the humor and fantastical elements to it. And then ironically enough, it's been announced only like in the past week that there's going to be a Goosebumps reboot through Sony television. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> Which means maybe we can get an on-screen adaptation of the uh, best book in the entire series. Oh, you mean The Curse of Camp Cold Lake? <laughs> no! <laughs> yes, the horror at Camp Jelly Jam was never made into a Goosebumps episode on the TV series. They probably didn't have a budget to make King no, Jelly Jam. there's no way. I, I can't imagine. In the 90s? Yeah. Uh, by, with Fox Kids? Yeah. I, what I, would I, The whole budget of the episode would have just gone to make it King Jelly Jam. Jeez. So <laughs> let's delve into this book. Um, I, I've noticed something with Goosebumps books is they do have, there's a lot of common tropes. Oh, yeah. In uh, chapter fake outs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every chapter. Fake outs slash cliffhangers. And yep. these have some very silly ones. Like, like there's points where she's like, I saw my brother on the ground. Next chapter. Aw, he's such a prankster. <laughs> some of them were all right. And then some's like that were like, oh, my God. Or the one where they're like, she's in the cabin and she's just putting clothes yep. away. And then she hears these three girls say, let's get her. And next chapter, sorry, we were just joking. I'm like, how many fake outs are there? Uh, let's, let, why don't we round table this? Because like, that's two good ones. Everyone want to name a, another favorite of theirs? Uh, I was actually going to say that one. Uh, uh-huh. Specifically the one where the, uh, the girls make the prank that they're going to burst into the room and attack her. Because it very specifically in the next chapter, you hear the main the main character actually says like, uh, "So that's a really screwed up thing to do," and then it, <laughs> and, and then the three girls are like, "Yeah, kinda," and then they all just laugh. Okay, there's a lot of weird moments like that. Like, okay, this bugged me so much. So there's a point where she's walking with uh, Wendy is walking with camp counselor Buddy, and she asks him, "Hey, where are you from?" And he pauses and is like, "You know what?" Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember where I'm from. Now, usually, if you would hear that, you're like, what do you mean? Are you feeling okay? I like, what do you mean you don't remember? That, that's, gotta that's, that is the moment I clocked as being like something that should have set off way more alarms than it did. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the funny part yeah. is, her response is, hey, I forget stuff all the time. <laughs> like, you'll be asking more questions than this. This is, this is a weird thing. <laughs> I think my favorite um, chapter fake out is when they're like bats and then the bats are just swooping down <laughs> and drink water from the pool. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Th- this has some interesting moments and also, okay. So the back of the book says that Wendy's not really into sports, but her brother loves them. And I'm like, bull fucking shit. Wendy loves. Sports. Yeah. Wendy like n- knows like, 
so many of like the logistics of like how to swing a baseball bat and uh how how to how to swim properly and those uh, tennis swings and it's like Wendy's hella into sports. They keep trying to refer to her like, oh, I don't really care about sports. I don't understand. I'm like, Wendy doesn't care about being competitive. I think that's what the summary at the back of the book gets wrong. Yeah. Wendy I, likes sports. She just likes playing them. She doesn't like winning's not her thing. That's Elliot's thing. I'm not gonna lie. Reading it, I'm like. Wow, I can't relate at all. I am... (laughs) Way to alienate all the nerds who read this. Ooh, (laughs) a book about sports. How exciting. I was not a sports kid growing up, so this isn't relatable to me. There's, I mean, I swam, but yeah. You want to know a statistic I would like to see? And this is just me, like, bringing up something from the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. A statistic I'd like to see on these Goosebumps books is how many of them are potentially Jacob's Ladder scenarios. Like how many how many how many Goosebumps books start with something dangerous happening to a child that they inexplicably survive and then stuff gets weird. That's a good point. This oh is, my this gosh, I never could, thought about that. This, this is this is basically just all all Goosebumps books could potentially just be an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah. Because our our potential Jacob's Ladder scenario here is that these two kids died in that trailer. It's interesting because it all starts with them being bored on vacation. And they're like, hey, can we go hang out in the trailer? And then the world's worst parents said, sure. Well, the world's worst parents weren't helping much before that, too, because they were just like, oh, look, there's a field and another field and and another another field. field. But yeah, they are the world's worst parent. They didn't. Can we talk for a second about how the parents also took fucking forever to find their kids in the end? Yeah. Yeah. They took a long time. And it's not explained. Like, you'd think like... We called the camp, but they didn't say any kids are there. We found the trailer and then we just, I don't know, left. You'd think they would have gone into the camp looking for the crashed trailer and the kids. Huh, you know? you seem to they ha- apparently found the trailer. Yeah. It's like, huh, you seem to have a camp full of kids here. This is interesting. There's no, like, magical explanation for, like, oh, the camp being hidden or anything, or the parents forgetting. That's not a thing that happens. It's so weird that they just are like, eh, who cares? Yeah, again, world's worst parents. They're pretty bad parents. Also, by the way, mom gets poked fun out quite a bit, like, oh, it's probably mom's bad driving. (laughs) They poke fun at dad, too. Oh, I'll never make fun of dad's fertilizer again. Garden fertilizer. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. This is 90s as hell, and I love it. Uh-huh. I, I would really like to see the statistics, because I couldn't think of any specific examples when I came to this realization, but I uh-huh. feel like that happens in a lot of Goosebumps books. It really does, but this is a really good example of that. I'm trying to think of other situations, though, where there's absolute mortal endangerment and then the weird stuff happens I mean, goosebumps books. I mean the one I can think of is like in the haunted mask uh she's about to t- she takes a bite in her sandwich and discovers there's worms in there she could have potentially like died from eating worms who knows like <laughs> and then that could have been, led- been a rotten sandwich yeah uh, could be that she was so freaked out she had a heart attack and died she could have choked on <laughs> she could have choked on a worm so bad. Go eat worms was a. We're talking book. about kids dying. We are horrible people. Hey, to be fair, I I, I do want to point out three children do die in this book. Yeah, that's weird. The off screen, but we hear that uh, three kids were eaten by King Jelly Jam, and I thought to myself, how often do do kids actually die in these Goosebumps books? Not often. No, they don't. Unless they're in a really old flashback. Like, there's lots of ghost kids and stuff like that, but you know. This is just interesting to think about. Wow, there's a body count. 
there's an actual body count in this uh, in this yeah. one. <laughs> well, that really gets that really gets to the core morals of this story, mm-hmm. which I which I think are don't talk to strangers, mm-hmm. uh, don't try too hard at anything, <laughs> um, and don't leave snails in a radioactive cave. <laughs> oh yeah, so this isn't in the book. Um, like it's not in the story. I should be more clear than that. But in the copy I had of the book, there is a fright gallery at the back of the book that talks about like King Jelly Jam and his origins, apparently. And I'm like, excuse me, Kayla, would you like to tell us what King Jelly Jam's origins are? So I'm very curious. A careless camper left a cup of gelatin deep in a cave that was contaminated with radiation and slimy snails. King Jelly Jam was born out of this strange mix of ingredients, and children everywhere were given another reason not to litter. So. Wow. Someone left Jello in a cave. Yes. Snails got into it. And radiation. And then radiation. And that's it. <laughs> and he grew and grew and grew and then developed powers to. Doesn't explain how he's able to hypnotize people and how he's able to manifest a gold crown out of nowhere. I'm assuming. Well, the gold crown doesn't bother me. He could have said. Bring me a crown, you stupid counselor. The, the feel, first counselor who came, the first person who stumbled into the cave fell under his thrall. I, I feel like that's Buddy. Like, Buddy is totally his first uh, thrall. What I want to know is, how did Camp Jelly, how did King Jelly Jam not die to, from his own stench, like, ages before this whole operation got started? I, th- You know, I wonder if he had him under his thrall before he realized, oh, I'm starting to smell bad. And he told he manipulated the counselors into, like, washing him, and they re- he realized, oh, shit, you're all old people, and you can't. <laughs> you're not as efficient at it. Bring me children. <laughs> Do you think this is back when King Jelly Jam was just a little blob? Mm-hmm. And he grew and grew? Yep. And sweat snails? Yep. How long has this been going on? That's the real question. They never do tell us, like, which is why I am convinced that because of how dreamlike it is when you think about it and how just like kid story it is, it could be a Jacob's Ladder scenario. Yeah. Now, I read this book when I was a kid, too, and I read this not knowing what to expect. Not going to lie. That was the most like, what the fuck twist? That's, I have- that's kind of one of the reasons like I joke about this being my favorite, but the reason it is my favorite. Like, the cover of this book and the t- name of the story tell you fucking nothing about what this story is True. going I'll- None of the counselors look anything like the Kai on the cover, by the way. No, Doesn't Buddy seem does. that way to me. No, because Buddy's blonde. Oh. The guy on the cover's wearing a cap and looks th- like he'll eat your soul for dinner. I feel like he's supposed to be a creepy version of Buddy, but whatever. Um... Yeah, and no, it's true. It's like there's a creepy camp counselor. In the back of the book, it says they're very obsessed with sports for some reason. And there's a rumbling in the ground. And you're just like, okay, something's not right with there, There is no indicator of fucking giant goop monster uh, sweating snails. Only hint that you get is Camp Jelly Jam. It's like that, the fact that it's they have a Jelly Jam mascot. That's it. And you don't... Really- const- I mean, at least they, they foreshadowed it a little with because you see the King Jelly Jam mascot all over the place. But yeah. that's not an... It, it does not prepare you for what the fuck? It's real? And not, not just real. It's disgusting and it smells god awful. And it sweats snails. You don't... Like, this is not something I was like, yeah, I did not see that coming. That was a total left turn for the most part i mean jesus christ do you think that this was rl stein trying to write something about mascots being real and being horrifying by the way actually book i had 
did have a uh, interview with him about this book. Oh. Yeah. And they did ask him, uh, where did you come up with the idea? He said, I wish I knew. He just popped into my head. Sometimes my ideas come from something I've seen or experienced. Sometimes they just come out of nowhere. King Jelly Jam just leaped into my mind and started stinking up the place. Oh my God. And weirdly enough, (laughs) they asked him like, did you go to summer camp or anything like that? He's like, I never went to summer camp, but I did go to day camp. That's where I had my most terrifying experience, the camp swimming test. To pass the test, you had to jump into deep water and swim to the shallow end. I just couldn't do it. It was horrible. All the kids were standing at the edge of the pool shouting, jump, jump. But I was frozen in the spot, too scared to jump. Now, whenever I have to write a scene where one of my characters is really scared, I always think of that moment and I feel scared all over again. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that is that that is very interesting. Uh Especially because swimming comes up in this, in, in, in this, uh, yeah. In this oh yeah, that's like the first event mm-hmm. that we actually get to see. It, it, it sounds like he did do his research though, because a lot of like the details that that's discussed of like how you swim or how to properly swim, and also again how to hold a bat and stuff like that. I feel like he actually had to look up. You know what's funny is Wendy makes a big point about like, oh my gosh, there's never a moment to take a take a break and relax. You're always being pushed to the next sports event, the next competition, the next thing you have to win. There's chess at this camp. You could <laughs> you could make an excuse to just sit down and play chess, even badly, and at least you get to sit and relax for a bit. It, it's bungee chess. They don't actually. Play <laughs> this um, is t- little, little did they know. This is totally a camp that would have more bungee cards. <laughs> um. So, I I have to talk about what I think is the most like genuinely scary moment in this book. Like okay. The, Go, yes. Like I mean, like rereading, a... <laughs> rereading, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Um, Please tell me when Wendy is practicing with the bat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And she takes a swing and fucking caves in Buddy's chest. And she thought and, she heard cracked ribs. And she it like she basically like destroyed his sternum, but he just ignores it and is like talking to her about sports. <laughs> And then you find out later it's like the hypnosis is so powerful. He he was just like ignoring it. Like Forget, that man still has a broken sternum. Yeah. That yeah. My question is, where's the scene like when they get out of hypnosis that you see Buddy falls where, where he's like, like oh. <laughs> <laughs> in tears. We know Buddy survives because he shows up at the end with the king coin. <laughs> what, what would have been more realistic is he it's like oh it looks like he had wraps around his body and he's being, but but he's i in a wheelchair now that is like genuinely one of the most disconcerting moments in the book though i did like i really like that yeah bit. that was really uncomfortable that was actually a really uncomfortable part it's, it feels like uh it feels like it's almost it's it, it would have been better if they had put yeah like you said they put more emphasis on it in terms of like you know like i kept thinking it was going to lead to something else, but the the hypnosis thing is good, and and it's, I wish that when the police whistle broke the p- police whistle broke them out of the <laughs> trance, yeah, Buddy had just fucking collapsed from, and then Wendy would have felt extra guilty. I got a question. So why would a whistle, a police whistle, break them out of their trance? Because let's not forget here, there this is sports. How like what comes up more often in sports? It's a fucking whistle. You blow a whistle when you're about to like run. You blow a whistle when you're about to jump into a pool. Like, why a fucking police whistle would be the maybe one that's, thing? Maybe that's something worth like rereading for. Like, maybe the counselor specifically like never used a whistle. 
Maybe I, that would have been interesting to put. Do you think that's a? Do you think that's because the whistle is symbolic? Because whenever uh, Wendy needed to calm Elliot down, she would do a whistle. Do you think that's like a little bit of a narrative? That would have been cool, actually. <laughs> is know, or is that too smart? <laughs> no, you know what would have been cool, actually, if she would have done that whistle, and then one of the camp counselors, like, it would have noticed, like, shook their head and they're like. Hmm? If she did and that then... whistle and Buddy collapsed because of his broken sternum. <laughs> <laughs> Just falls to the ground. Oh my, oh God, everything's going dark. By the way, the two main camp counselors are named Buddy and Holly, and I groaned. Yeah. <laughs> I groaned so fucking hard. God uh, fucking damn it. I want to I direct this episode now. You want to direct this episode? <laughs> I just want to. I just. I just want to actually add in that moment we just came up with, where uh, Wendy whistles and Buddy's just like, uh, are they playing basketball during that scene? Ping pong. Um, or was that? I think that was during the the jogging, the the marathon run. I thought it was during the ping pong because no. Uh, remember- well, she does it. Well, that was. No, I'm saying if you she- wanted to have a, her do a whistle moment after uh, she cracks Buddy's ribs. Oh, um, it would have. It would have been during when he's racing, and she she just yeah. had the nap under but, the bush. But remember, she woke up and her mouth is dry, and it, she. Oh, can't that's whistle, right. Yeah. So she, we she, would have needed another instance of that then. Yeah, I do want that moment though. It's like buddies on the sidelines cheering someone on. Like, come on, you got this. Come on, come on. Ooh. <laughs> Actually, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to delve into questions right this second because I feel like we could talk more about this, but. Um, Bringer actually has a question for you, Alan, um, about this. I want Alan to think of how the episode would be shot and what actors he would pick. So Okay. Well, it, I, I, I've already stated that like the linchpin of this episode for me would absolutely be Buddy getting hit in the chest with a baseball bat. Like everything else about this episode would be kid friendly, but that, that moment would like push the boundaries like a little bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he just get hits in the, gets hit in the chest, and you like, it's just the fu- and you just hear the fucking grossest sound. Oh, that would be so uncomfortable. It really um, would. And he just kind of like takes a moment, and he's like, "Okay, let's get you to the tennis court." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I just feel like, what the fuck? No, I I think that would be a good linchpin. I think you know what you know how these episodes would be like thirty minutes long. I think that would be the commercial break moment. Like, if this was an old Goosebumps episode, the 15-minute mark would be hit when she hits him and he doubles over and then she's like, oh, shit, and then cuts to commercial or something like that. Or, no. It would be right, maybe it would be right after uh, he'd be like, okay, let's play the next sports. And then her, the look on her face is like, what? And then cuts to commercial. Oh, that'd be so good. But yeah, as far as as far as like uh actors, I don't know. Um I'm casting I'm casting Buddy. Um I'm I'm casting someone with a little respect on their name. Who can pull off that aura of cre- uh who's the son of Stellar Skateboard who played the clown? Wait, what? Um sorry. <laughs> who was the clown in it? Oh. oh, oh, uh uh I know who you're talking about. The new one. Um like Skarsgard. 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 Isn't it like Alexander Skarsgard or some shit like that? Yeah. Oh my god, I actually called him Stellar Skateboard, unironically. <laughs> There's a thing on Comedy Bang Bang whenever they talk about uh Stel- Stellan Skarsgard, uh they call him Stellar Skateboard. And- <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's Bill Skarsgard. Yeah. 
yes. Um, I, I'd have I'd cast him as Buddy. Oh, he would be good. Oh yeah, he'd um, be good. But Buddy, I feel like it's the most important role to cast. Um, the kids can be no names, and it would be fine. Whoever, whoever it is who does like all the monster voices, uh, for Frank Tatasciore. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He can he can be King Jelly Jam. Would King Jelly Jam have dialogue, or would he just continue to be a, just a groaning, belching monster? Uh, he he just do monster noises. Oh okay. My question is: Does he is he telepathic? Is that how he hypnotized them? Like, and why doesn't he hypnotize the kids? Ooh, I just thought of something cool. What? Way to reimagine it. What if all of the camp counselors have like snails on the back of their necks? And that's how they're being hypnotized. Hell yeah. That is bitchin'. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, that'd be good. They don't notice it until later. But when during the hypnosis process in the thing, he can still be swinging the coin. But what's actually happening is while they're distracted by it, snails are crawling up and replacing the old snails on the back of their necks or something. Somewhere where they can't be seen. This is like some Animorph shit and I'm here for it. Fucking yerks. Yep. God damn. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, that's how you reimagine it. Would Oh, would King Jelly Jam be practical effects or would he be CG? Oh, we're going practical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell I yes. I don't know how that would be done, but God, I'd be down for it. Very big animatronic? Yeah, oh, yeah but it's, super big. It, it's a jelly. I'm tra- And the interesting part is he has an interesting design. Like he has his eyeballs are actually inside the jelly. Ooh. What if you could see the whole eyeball, but... It's, but it's because it's semi-translucent. Uh, but when he does the, but he still, you know, flux, you know, close and open his like the eyelids. But you could still see muted through it the whole yellow eyeball through the through the lids. Mm. That'd be pretty creepy. That would be. I don't know how they would do that, but that does sound really cool. What if his eyeballs are snails? Eh, it's not as creepy. God, I, I, I there has to be a way. To, but here's my question too. There should be a moment where a smell appears beforehand. That's one thing that should have been hinted at. Like, God, what's that smell? Is that like a septic tank? What the heck? Mm-hmm. I do. I do want to, um, I just, uh, I just Googled, uh, King jelly jam and Google images. I, I urge everyone to do that and find the, the picture of adorable King jelly jam. There's a, I thought would surprise me, honestly. I'm assuming the, the adorable King jelly jam is, um, Aw, that's cute. I'm assuming that's what the mascot would look like. Show me. Um, this one right here. Oh my god, it's like the grimace. <laughs> he's 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 oh. very cute. There's a, there's actually some really cute pictures. I'm I'm impressed by you guys. Can we can we agree that King Jelly Jam might be the best part of the book though? Like even though he comes out of left, all the sports yeah. stuff I couldn't care less about. But once they reveal King Jelly Jam, yep, no, it's pretty great. <laughs> Uh, what do we think of the kids, Wendy, Elliot, and the various other rando randos? <laughs> the obvious token black girl that's in there. Oh my god! And they gave her one earring. Like, come the fuck on! <laughs> oh my god! Gosh, I don't know. Uh, what other questions were posed out of oh, curiosity? Yeah. It's a, it's a goosebumps book. There's why I figured there wouldn't be a ton to talk about, but uh, the fact that we uh, I had um. I, I I just wanted to point out uh, that it made me laugh that uh, it when Elliot's first game is ping pong, and oh. uh, he's he's facing off against Jeff, uh, who who's, Jeff is described as being like Elliot's age, but like 
twice his size and muscular. Uh-huh. And everyone's like, oh, Elliot doesn't stand a chance. And I'm like, you're playing ping pong. Ping pong. <laughs> I thought the same goddamn thing. I'm like, isn't it like, what does it fucking matter? He's not wrestling him. How exciting. Yeah. Ping pong. Ping pong. Watching people play ping pong. Because that's fun, right? <laughs> All right, so uh, Bringer said, uh, I had another question. What's your guys' favorite R.L. Stein book? Any series? This one. <laughs> there are two, there's like three that stick out to me, and I'm having a heart attack because I have to reread them. One is actually, one that I always really remember is uh, one of the Fear Street, Street books. I think it's called The Haunted Treehouse or something like that. What's that one about? I don't remember a lot of it because I read it a long time ago, but some kids go into the woods, they find a treehouse, Treehouse is already occupied by some ghost kids and the kids need help to break the curse that's holding them there. Cause there's some other, there's some evil stuff involved, but eventually they do. They break the curse, which allows them to like break their own hold of the treehouse. The part that cracked me up is at the end of the book, they leave and they're going through the woods to get back to their place. They stumble across an old abandoned playground and there's ghost kids there and they go, Oh, we're glad you're here. And it's like this whole cycle is about to repeat all over again. And it's such a t- like a, a self-aware moment that it cracks me up every time. Like, oh, we found we saved the kids from the haunted treehouse. Now we have to deal with the haunted playground immediately after. And there was never a sequel. So um another one of my favorite books. Uh and I say favorite, it's my favorite because the twist is real fucking bad. Um uh a shocker on Shock Street. Holy oh, shit, God. Alan, I was going to say a shocker on Shock Street is one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, I, I'm going to go I, ahead and spoil the ending of that one. On yeah, go time. ahead. Because uh, can, I, can, I give, can I real quick give the premise? Yes. A couple of kids of this inventor get to go to a, a, a amusement park, a theme park based on um, the Shock Street series of, of movies, if I recall. Yeah, that part's fucking awesome because they go in the park and everything's going wrong and they're on like a studio tour esque kind of ride and it breaks down and they have to walk through the the shock street, all these familiar things. But the twist is the twist is, is that the main kids of this inventor are actually super advanced animatronic robots that are part of the theme park. That's right. Okay, I never read this one. It's a dumb eyeballs are rolling so to the back of my head oh kayla you okay (laughs) kayla wake up kayla she's having a seizure uh the twist of shocker of shock street was so shocking christ uh the other one i really liked was uh i mentioned it earlier i actually really liked the curse of camp cold lake that's some genuinely spooky moments the ending was a little bit silly but i liked how solemn it was because again it involved dead kids but this one was about some really angry ghosts oh shit there was a shocker on shock street episode (gasps) there was it wasn't very good. <laughs> Same twist? Same twist. God damn. They didn't change that. In terms of Goosebumps, um, the Haunted Mask has always hold a special place in my heart. Um, that one is just a genuinely good Halloween story all around. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of outside of uh, that, actually, one book, I remember it so vividly, uh, is one from Fear Street, and it's called How to Be a Vampire. And it's not scary at all. The whole premise is this 12-year-old kid is turning into a vampire and just his adventures into living as a vampire. And the whole story is just kind of fascinating. It's still got, it's very tongue-in-cheek for the most part, but um, I don't know. I just remember it being very enjoyable for the most, all in all. But it's, I mean, it's still not as good as 
um without a doubt nowhere near as good as um the haunted mask that again always will hold a special place in my heart all right all right then uh next worst, what's the word uh, i know it's not part of the question worst goosebumps book <laughs> oh. oh worst goosebumps book I, I remember not really enjoying that mutant one, the castle mutant one. Oh, the attack of the mutant or whatever. Yeah. I remember that being kind of boring. Um, Oh my God. What was the one I was thinking of? Um, let me, I, I the, need, uh, I'm trying to see like all the different goosebumps. Abominable snowman of Pasadena. Jesus. Um, Oh, you know what? One was actually really boring. I know one, the one that I did not like the three wishes one, the one where, that was not scary. It was so boring. Um, the other one that actually was kind of meh too was Chicken Chicken, if I recall. It's just her, this girl turning into a chicken. Chicken Chicken is pretty uh, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my hairiest adventure is really fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, is that the one where kids are turning into dogs? It sure is. Oh, God. Um Oh, I just uh, the blob that ate everyone is particularly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm gonna spoil the I'm gonna spoil the twist ending of that one too. Sure. Um, at the uh, it gets to the ending of that one, and the kids defeat the blob. Cut to a blob at a typewriter writing a story, and his blob friend says that that ending is uh, too sad. And then the blob at the typewriter is like, "You're right." And then the blob eats the kids. The end. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Um, actually saying that, that out loud, actually saying that out loud though, right now makes me realize that's kind of great. <laughs> it is, it is kind of great, but oh boy! Yeah, I'm actually looking through because it has been a while, and I'm going through. Well, we have to decide what what we want to. I do want to do more goosebumps in the future. Oh, absolutely! I definitely want to talk. You know what? I, you know what? I'll, I'll name some ones I would like to read. I still I I I I pitched Welcome to Dead House, but I'm also I would pitch uh, Curse of Camp Cold Lake, Ghost Beach, The Headless Ghost, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder. Uh, those are all ones I remember enjoying. I, I, I would tend pitch, to uh, stay out of the basement. That's a really good one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, any, do we want to do any of the Monster Blood ones? I would think we should. Um, I I feel like we should do Night of the Living Dummy because. That one's a classic as well. Or <laughs> One Day at Horrorland. One Day at Horrorland is a classic. Yeah. Uh, the one, actually, I'll g- w- there's one... Uh, Werewolf of Fever Swamp. There's one that I actually do really like, but um, I wanna, I'm want i going to answer it with this question. So Five Kicks Red Wolf says, uh, Hey, uh, Darkly Lit Crew, interested to know which premise or situation from which Goosebumps book disturbed you the most as a kid, and if you have one that bothers you more as an adult. I mean, this was, I remember as a kid, this this one, the uh, Camp Jelly Jam, was the one that I was like, what the fuck? Like, I remember my kid wearing being like, I, I'm sorry, what? Uh-huh. What? Uh-huh. I'll just it, get mine out of the way. Everyone here knows I hate puppets, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. In, in, ter- yeah. in terms of now as an adult, thinking back on it, the one that actually is kind, I think is this, the story that's kind of the most disturbing is the ghost next door. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz you that it twist ending is like this girl that you're hanging out with the whole time turns out to be a dead girl and she's a ghost and it's so tragic. She's the real ghost. Yeah, and you're just like, "Oh my god." Didn't she die in a fire? Yeah. Isn't that the whole thing? Oh yeah, the whole it's a very sad story. Where like I'm surprised like 
it feels not like a typical um, Goosebumps book. It feels almost more on the Are You Afraid of the Dark side. And I would like to read that. I would love to reread that. The Ghost Lake Store, I remember. Yeah, I'd be that would be fitting. Um, people who know me know I have a fear of deep water and things coming out of deep water at me. Weirdly enough, the Deep Trouble, Deep Trouble 2 didn't have that thing on me because those were not really like horror novels. They're almost like weird spy novels in a weird, in a bizarre way, adventure novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a long time, so I might be misremembering them. But um, again, one of the things I mentioned about Curse of Camp Cold Lake is there's a bit where a character the main character is trying to feign drowning. So the other girls in the camp will stop being mean to her. They'll like pity her. And there's a scene that describes like how she's having to hold her breath at the bottom of this lake in order to like, and do like a dead man's float in order to pretend like she's drowned, but she can't. And it describes the feeling of, you know, feeling like you are drowning, even though she could end at any time that stuck with me as, as really horrible. Like the, the idea of drowning. And for some reason, that was really vivid in my mind. It doesn't help that she actually does kind of sort of drown. And that's when she meets the ghost The uh, in a creepy dream sequence that's really good. Uh, years later, there's a scene in Welcome to Dead House, though, that gets to me as an adult. And it's a scene where a character has a dream where in the dream, she and her family are all dead and slumped around a kitchen table. And some her best friend is pounding at the door trying to get in she's aware that they're all dead but she can't get up to get the door because they're dead i'm like ew ew i don't know it's just the idea that you're trapped in your own corpse that's oh that is creepy uh for the most part with goosebumps books from what i remember i wasn't really much disturbed by them as a kid uh for me they were they were like so here's the funny part um i read them in secret i guess um my mom uh watched the first episode uh um the haunted mask on goosebumps and she's like no this is too scary those books are too scary you can't read them and i still read them because they're everywhere like (laughs) like i go to my school and it's like they're right there on the bookshelf it was not hard to get like so they were very easy reads at some and I do, they weren't really that scary for the most part. I feel like, you know what I find the most frightening was the artwork. The artwork was like more scary and more almost kind of like uh, uncomfortable than the actual story itself. Actually, sometimes I feel like the cover art tended to have tell a more interesting story than the actual story itself. Again, yeah. Curse of Camp Cold Lake, really good cover. Story is all right, but... <laughs> <clears throat> Again, like we talked about Camp Jellyland Jam, um, Buddy's artwork is terrifying. Alan like, would not stop sharing that cover image. Alan true. is currently using that cover I- image as his Discord icon. It's true. <laughs> it's great. It's a great image. It really is, though. It's a great cover. I that's all. I you know I didn't read Camp Jelly Jam. That, I came later to Camp Jelly Jam. Uh, you know when I was younger, but. I always remember the cover and and wondering what the fuck the book was going to be about because I'm like you you were you're absolutely right nothing about the title or the cover says anything about what the book is actually going to be about you know yeah it just seems it's just so, weird I wanted to ask if anyone had read the two least interestingly named uh, Goosebumps books which are um, because and these were late in the series too um, so there was Ghost Camp. I did not. I and the haunted school. Nope. Okay. First, uh, wait. Maybe I did read the haunted school. 
I, I just, mean, I don't, it's my theory that fucking no one read them. The, the funny part is, um, Because they're the most boringly fucking titled stories ever. They really are. Uh, actually, in all honesty, um, I'm surprised I didn't read Ghost Camp, and the reason why is I remember that book vividly, at least the cover. As an eight-year-old me found that cover so fascinating, and, uh, because it's this girl standing behind these kids that are invisible and hey remember how there was a book called let's get invisible <laughs> there was <laughs> oh shit i did read the haunted school i did read this book because this one um uh i think the re again this one actually did have a boring title and the picture's not that exciting but the story it sounds really cool i remember reading this because um uh they go in an elevator and they find themselves in a black and white world where most of the school's missing class of 1947 resides. Sounds cool. Yeah. I would not mind reading that again. I, Cause I thought that was a fascinating idea. I'm, I'm like, I'm going through the books and seeing which ones I read. I did not read the abominable snowman of Pasadena. I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was a boring ass title and I did not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in all honesty, it's actually not a bad title because it's like, oh, look, the snowman that's in Pasadena. Why would they be in Pasadena? Eh. But it, that just did not interest me at all. Um, Again, you're talking to me and I like all the ghost stuff. I like spooky ghost shit. I like hauntings. So, yeah, I read all the ones that had anything to do with that seemed remotely ghostly, except the haunted school. <laughs> yeah, I'm going through. Oh, the cuckoo clock of doom was so weird. It, yeah. The, the whole time... This brother is like, I want to get rid of my younger sister because she's a little brat and then just does a lot of time traveling with a fucking cuckoo clock. Um, another one actually that stuck up was calling out creeps. This guy is an, the protagonist is an asshole. <laughs> no, like the I, the premise behind calling out creeps is he decide he gets bullied by these jerks at school. So he puts out an ad saying calling all creeps. If you're a creep, call this number. And he ex- apparently his friend accidentally puts his number and then people calling him are like, I'm a creep. And it turns out the creeps are a reptilian alien race. And they think that the protagonist is the leader. And they're like, yeah, we're going to turn everybody into reptilian over like lizards. And you're going to be our god. And he's like, eh, sounds like it would be nice. I wouldn't disagree with him. But like, he's turning everyone into reptilian. And? Eh, good point. Some people are into that sort of thing. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, um, so there's another question by username. I can't answer this, but I know Alan can. Which is better, goosebumps or goof lumps? Uh, uh, Alan, can you explain yeah. that? Goose, goosebumps are better. Uh, goof lumps was, I've only read one of them. There was two of them. Was uh, a couple parody books of Goosebumps written by Are You Slime? Um, they, they were, they were parodies of, of Goosebumps books and they are not good. Um, well, the one I read is not good. Uh, I cannot, I cannot speak to the quality of, uh, um, the the one I've read is Eat Cheese and Barf. Uh, I cannot speak to, I cannot speak to the pop, the quality of Stay Out of the Bathroom. (laughs) Um, with, with, uh, the tagline terror in the toilet. Um, but I have read eat cheese and barf with the tagline chunk city. It is not, it is not a good book. 
I figured. It is not even what I'd describe as uh, enjoyable uh, in, like, a reading something that way. And, yeah. That's really all I have to say on the matter. That's yeah. that's totally fair. I feel like we've already kind of answered this next well, question. Ner- I mean, we could... Neroli says, what about the book could have been taken further and i mean i mean we were we were talking about that but is there any other parts we could have taken a little further maybe like i feel like we could there's a lore here and i i do actually in all honesty leaving a gelatin uh that eventually grows into this big thing is kind of it's just dumb enough that it works yeah it's not it actually has an appealing thing but it definitely gives the idea that the camp's been here for a long time because they said a camper left the jello in the cave so i'm wondering where like uh if you could delve a little deeper into this maybe there's more to the story i don't know because there's there's a lot of parts where i'm like wait what about this what about this part i want more emphasis about how creepy it is that they're finding a way to deflect the parents from finding the kids yeah because that part's that could be silly but could be made to be a lot scarier you know Mm -hmm. what if the parents what if somehow a more serious story what if they that they found out later that someone had planted evidence to make it look like the kids were either perpetually lost in the woods or if you want to go like, or like died in the accident. And the parents actually thought that they, their children died in that trailer crash. And again, a Jacob's ladder scenario would make it really scary. Yeah. Um, Oh, I actually got a creepy idea. What's that? I don't think it should be done, but he, he murders kids. Like he eats them, but he's a gelatinous blob that you can kind of see through. Right. What if you could see the corpses of the children? Make them skeletons and you that's okay. As long as it's just bones. Like, how fucking creepy would that it be? It would be creepy. But you, you could only show so much. So it's like someone peers in a King Jelly Jam and they see bones and skulls floating around inside him. By the way. All the kids he's digested. You know that he, like, the, him eating them is not really him eating them, but rather them being stuck in gelatin and basically choking, not choking to death, but. Suffocating? Yeah, suffocating, yeah. Ew, good point. He also has two tongues. I forgot about that detail. That's a weird detail. Why two tongues? Because reasons. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't know. It's good. Where did he get his crown? I don't know. It's cool. It's a good detail. I like to think it's a Burger King crown. <laughs> Do we want to briefly touch on, before we wrap this up, do we want to briefly touch on how Goosebumps equates to um, Creepypasta when you think about it? Yeah, uh, it's... Huh. <laughs> a, 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 lot of it, a lot of it's in the writing. Ex- yep. Can you explain, Alan? I'm kind of curious, actually. Uh, well. This boy. Um, I feel like a lot of it's in... The writing quality. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, it, it does kind of. It does kind of. Uh, everything I everything I'm about gonna say would be mean. So, uh, <laughs> if, if you don't want to say anything mean, I understand. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, well, it's I, hard because I think for the most part we all we all enjoyed enjoyed this for different reasons, right? Oh, absolutely. It yeah. It's still, in in all honesty, it's very silly and it's over the top. And but the twist and there's too is, much sports. Too okay, there is too much. Sports. That's my only problem. Is too much sports. I don't give a shit. Fun. It is a legitimately fun read. Yeah, it, like the. It only takes an hour to read anyway. I think what Arlstein had going for him was the fact that he started his writing in humor. 
That's true. And I think he does add that to it. Mm-hmm. So he, like, yes, he's writing a horror story, but he's adding enough humor that it you just carry kind of long for the ride, and you're like, this is... <laughs> I feel like he knows what he's doing a he, little bit. Like, he kind of knows what he's doing. I'd think he would. This is all, you know, all this is just him trying to get revenge on that time he wrote a joke <laughs> book and no one showed up to his uh, his autograph signing and he wore bunny ears. Oh, it, it's interesting because he um, he said, like, in, like, 94 or 95, some, sometime like that, he went to a mall and it was like just completely flooded with kids like it was a complete 180 from his first book on a humor book and like no one showed up compared to every kid wants to get his books it's amazing well awesome um good friend and look at the legacy that this has left us so yeah we should probably we should probably work out in the future what goosebumps books we want to read but maybe we'll put it to a vote again yeah, I think that. Might I think be we should each pitch pitch a book again. And Alan, are you going to campaign for another book? Um, I mean, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. I'm going to campaign for Camp Cold Lake, Curse of Camp Cold Lake. Well, when that time comes, I'll let you 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 start changing. I'll just your... I'll post I'll change my cover image to that creepy skull coming out of the lake. There we go. Alan's new campaign, Jelly Jam again. <laughs> we reread Camp Jelly Jam and talk about it again. What, like, I feel like this is like Camp Jelly Jam could be the could be the book equivalent of the worst idea of all time, where we just every episode is just us talking about having reread Camp Jelly Jam. Yes, it's been yes. a year. We read Camp Jelly Jam again. <laughs> Ready to talk about it <laughs> till death do us, Jelly Jam. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. No problem. Uh, anything you'd like to share with the with the group out there? Anything you want to pitch? Want to talk about? Want to promote? Uh, no. Really? No. Okay. No. I will promote the fact that you can hear me and Alan and Kayla a lot on uh, other our other creative horror podcast, uh, Undercooked Analysis, as well as uh, a few other podcasts. You should also listen to the other fine podcasts on the Creative Horror Worker Network, like The Witching Hour, Midnight Marinara, Trick or Track, uh, some other podcasts, much like King Jelly Jam, have been like absorbed into it's mass mainly uca because creepy cooking staff is now a part of that semi-regular segment that uh will pop up every so often uh if you like what you hear here uh please feel free to leave us a rating and review Ooh, on Apple actually, Podcasts. uh you know what next episode of creepy creepy cooking staff we should make our own goosebumps book <gasps> holy shit that's brilliant i am yes oh my god let's get mike on the horn and let's let's talk about this Let's do yeah. this. I'm so, yeah. Yes. Yes. Just. Mm. Mm. Punch. <laughs> Found cool. Punch. Uh, but yeah, if you like what you hear here, you could leave it as a comment and review and smash that like button from Orbit. No. All right. So for our next book, um, because we're in like COVID-19 world and um, getting books isn't exactly the easiest, we're going to go with a public domain story. Uh, after talking with Alan um, and asking what's his favorite Edgar Allan Poe story, because we haven't actually discussed Edgar Allan Poe. Which is sh- surprising to me. We've decided we're going to read The Murders of Rue Morgue. As we were talking about, not a common Edgar Allan Poe story, and I think it'd be interesting to talk about. So I'm, Absolutely. I'm so down for this. All right, who wants to go do some sports? Oh, God, no, please. You have to be only the best. Only the best. Only the best. 
Only the best. Only the best. Only the best. Only the best. Only the best. Only the best. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>